Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey everybody, this is the Famous Dead People podcast, the only podcast that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. You're back to the episode where I interview the inventor of the cotton gin, Eli Whitney, and the crocodile hunter himself, Steve Irwin. It was a fascinating talk. Uh, and you want to listen to the very end. I, I included a special extra little bit of fun business that didn't make it into the episode proper. So make sure you listen to the very end. Uh, a couple quick announcements before we get to the episode. Don't forget that you could check out the freshest eps every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. That's when the newest episodes come out. These episodes are like delayed a week and a half. Uh, hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org with any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, buy my book, The Kelly and Conway Technique. It is out now, and it is hilarious. Rate and review the podcast. Tell your friends. Leave a comment. And, of course, hit up JarrettBernstein.com. That's where all the latest info on show dates and upcoming projects is posted. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crocodile hunter Steve Irwin and the cotton gin inventor Eli Whitney. Only on Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. It's time. Famous Dead People. Time to start the show. Famous Dead People. People you know. Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. The story stuck in the head. You're gonna hear all the phonies and so all these people are dead. My guests today on Famous Dead People are the 18th century American inventor, best known for inventing the cotton gin, Eli Whitney. Hello, it's me. And 20th century Australian zookeeper, conservationist, and television personality, Steve Irwin, also known as the Crocodile Hunter. Excited to be here. Excited to be dead. Uh, Mr. Irwin, Mr. Whitney, thank you so much for joining us here on Famous Dead People. Well, I'm so happy to be here. You've got all sorts of cool gadgets in here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Technology has really advanced uh, uh, since you you were on the scene. Uh, But let's start off with uh, Steve Irwin. Uh, so you were born into a wildlife and adventure family. Your father was a, a herpetologist, which is the study of amphibians. Uh, your mother was a wildlife re- was a was a wildlife rehabilitator, uh, which I can only assume is like you find like an orphaned animal and uh, and you help raise it for a bit, and then you release it back into the wild. Is that the sort of thing that you would see? When you were growing up in uh, in Australia back then, oh, all the time. My mom, she would just, or my mum, as I called her, she mm-hmm. would just go and she'd find wildlife that was hurt, like a like a, a kangaroo with a hurt leg, and she'd nurse it back to health oh, and that's nice. set it back out into into the wild. That's wonderful. We'd, be, we'd go on all kinds of fun safaris. You you would go on safaris as a family together. Family safaris. It was so fun. Just looking for hurt animals to save and then rehabilitate and bring them back into the wild. Yes, yes. There were so many hurt animals. It was weird. It was weird how many herd animals we encountered. It's almost as if someone in my family was herding the animals. I'm sorry. Are you suggesting that uh, either your mother or your father were going out herding animals and then grabbing everybody and saying, we got to go out there and look for herd animals. Oh, oh, look, here's one. Here's one that we can save right here. Just a theory I'm floating. <laughs> you know, in discussing it now, it's the first time I thought, it, it's it's kind of a strange how many herd animals we'd see. I don't think it's that strange. I mean, the wild. I mean, even even in your time, Eli Whitney, I'm sure 
uh, you know, the forests, the jungles, they're they're dangerous places, you know? Yes. That's why I tried to deforest and uh, just eliminate all vegetation and build factories instead. I'm sorry, so you were you were a big um, anti-conservationist, anti-naturalist, Eli well, Whitney? Well, yes. When I see a parking lot these days, my heart sings with glory <laughs> because everything is totally dead. And there's no, there's nothing dangerous there. No, nothing dangerous at all. Gotcha, Have gotcha. you ever been walking in like a parking lot? And you're just like, oh, there comes a tiger. No, never happened. Never will. <laughs> well, it depends on where you are in the world. There are certain there are certain cities where those populations of animals are sort of uh, more common, mm. you know. And so and then they, then they'll walk into the cities every now and again. And everyone will have to go. Oh no, we got to get rid of this tiger. Shoot, shoot, get out of here, tiger. Right. And I'd like to go there and deforest those places too. <laughs> See, well, I don't particularly agree with that philosophy, but I I think the point is made. That it's a dangerous place, and so it's not that uncommon for animals to be hurt in the Australian outback, right? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> you know, maybe I was—I shouldn't have floated that theory about well, my own family. Well, let's do—let's do like process of elimination. All right. So we, we obviously we can't do a big scientific double-blind study, but after your parents passed away, were there fewer hurt animals for you to help? No. <laughs> so, so, so I think we—I think we've established. That your parents, the Irwins, were not hurting animals just so that they could help them later. Um, I guess we can let them <laughs> off the hook, but uh, I'll, I'll ask them when I see them in here. I'm wondering if that inherent suspicion is like uh, is a trait that you've carried with you your whole life. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, uh, Mr. Irwin, was so at a young age, your family started a small reptile park. Uh, so you were exposed to crocodiles and other reptiles from a young age. Um, but later on in your life, you were involved in a little bit of controversy after you took your baby son and you dangled him in front of a crocodile and people got really upset about that. They were like, that's so unsafe. Did you did you do that because that's how your parents like introduced you to wild animals? Is that how they introduced you to reptiles and other dangerous beings? In the Irwin family, we call that a, a baby dangle. <laughs> a baby dangle. We've been doing it for millennia. It's so common that you even have a word for it. Yes. I yes. See. As soon as the Irwins got to Australia, we started dangling our babies in front of crocodiles. <laughs> it seemed like the only smart thing to do. You know, I think that that's admirable because I used to take my child and dangle him over the giant wheels in the factory where I built ammunition. I see. And uh, I see. it would be so exhilarating to have a life I produced so close to the mechanical gears of death. And I just think that that is so cool. You were doing the same thing on the other side of the world. Well, this exactly. Is, this like is two different. <laughs> it's it's like synergy. It's so exciting. So this is a way because I'm assuming the Irwins did this because like we want our children to be comfortable around these animals so that we can care for them and work with them. It, did you want to sort of like um, bring your children to being comfortable around machinery so that they could then go on and do inventions and do mass manufacturing and stuff like that? You know, it's more spiritual than that. Okay. Nothing makes a human being quicken than to take their life and bring it close to death. In those moments, it's almost like the movie The Highlander. The you Highlander. feel a sort of empowering, like lightning shooting into the sky. Interesting. Okay. Mm. And this is an experience that you you brought to your child. Right. Uh, you gave him the lightning, the inspiration. Yes. Was there something... I know that technology changed so fast in your lifetime. Correct. Was there a way that 
your parents did that to you uh, with whatever technology was available back then in the uh, the, the late 18, 1800s, I believe. Yes. Right. Yes. My father used to put a little bit of gunpowder in the gruel he would serve me in the morning. <laughs> and then he'd put a musket ball on a spoon and make me bite down all, all of those together. And if my mouth exploded, well, so be it. But, you know, luckily, I survived to a ripe old age of 59. To a ripe old age of and And we're all better for it because now... We get to enjoy a world that had the cotton gin in it. Correct. Um, but let's talk about your life a little bit before, uh, pre-cotton gin. Uh, so it's the late 1700s. The I apologize. swinging time. <laughs> late 1700s. <laughs> I always learned about the late 1700s. <laughs> mm-hmm. The uh, swinging late 1700s. 1700s. It was crazy. Uh, you graduate from Yale and you want to go on to study law, but you run out of money. Right. So you instead decide to move to South Carolina and tutor. That's, so that's the plan, right? Yes, I was going to be a fine tutor of young minds. Okay, so um, the plan, I'm guessing, was that you would that you you would uh, you wouldn't do that your entire life. You just earn enough money that you would just continue to go study law, right? Can I be honest, Jerry? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't give a shit about teaching anybody <laughs> anything. I wanted money paper money to spend on my crazy sexual escapades. I'm so what? What? Eli Whitney, yes. you say you wanted to earn money Look. to spend on sexual escapades. Yes, and I'm dead now, so I can be free to speak the truth. Yeah, tell tell us, and we want to hear the un, unfiltered truth from the two of you. Don't yeah, um, hold back now. Don't, <laughs> definitely don't. Uh, but I guess what I'm just curious about is, like, were these, like, sexual adventures you wanted to go on? Like, some sort of sex sex theme park or were you well, inventing machines sexual machines look i'm a big fan of the yin and the yang you know the uh dichotomies in life like i mentioned the uh but how death and life together produce the most heightened human experience well the victorian sort of uh way in which people were so closeted back mm, then yeah. it made you know freaky shit so awesome <laughs> To just, just be free to get weird, like, underneath the surface. So that made that time so exciting, and I just wanted more money to perpetuate my lifestyle. I see. So you were enjoying how repressed everybody was. Correct. Because when they would when they would reveal themselves sexually, it would be like a nuclear bomb. Yes. Uh, we actually we had Queen Victoria on the show. If, if you, you should definitely listen to that episode. Because she was we, a freak. We get into a similar thing with, uh, with Queen Victoria where she talks about, like, you know, how she liked repressing people because... It made the gratification so much better. Um, but so what, what? So, but the plan right. to go down and tutor and make enough money for your sexual um, for your sexual adventures. Yes, uh, that plan gets sidetracked because as you're on the boat, one of your shipmates is a uh, is a Revolutionary War widow named Mrs. Green, mm. uh, and she convinces you instead to go with you to her plantation in Georgia instead. Right. Okay. You, because I had this idea. I was just like, gosh. We need more cotton in the world. And I was telling her about this little device that was rolling around in my imagination. And she was like, boy, you're so smart. I can't, you know. She said, dude, Connie, what about if you took that invention and just used it to change the world? And I said, holy shit, let's do it. So that's kind of verbatim how that conversation went. Mm, so you had this idea for the cotton gin Correct. way, way long time ago. Right. Uh, and uh, and Mrs. Green was the one who said, hey, I got a crazy idea. Yes. Why don't you... Uh, actually make it, right. and then and then we can have more cotton, and, and we can get the seeds out of cotton faster, and it'll be wonderful. Yes, and you know what happened, Jared? Hmm. 
I did. <laughs> I, I, I did exactly that. We, yeah, I, I mean, that's uh, that's what this says on the Wikipedia. Yes. I'm just really curious why it, it, it was necessary for you to meet her for that moment of inspiration. Like, did you really think that if you hadn't met her, you never would have taken that extra step to actually make the cotton gin? It just would have been an idea that lived in your head forever? Well, sometimes you need somebody else to reflect back to you the, whether an idea is good or bad. Mm. So, you know, if you smoke a lot of marijuana, sometimes you can have crazy ideas like, man, I should start a band, but it should be sort of like synth, but like doom synth. And then you wake up in the morning and think to yourself, well, that idea sucks. Oh, that's a oh, good hold idea. on. Slow your roll. <laughs> Doom synth sounds awesome. Oh, you, you really think so? <laughs> I'm into it, man. I'm reflecting that idea back to you, and I'm saying go for it. Yeah. yeah. This is why, you know, so I don't know whether an idea is bad or good. Oh. That's a good idea, and if you need a second synth guy, <laughs> hey, you're looking at him. You're kidding. You, you want to start You want to start a synth band with two synth players. Yes, doom synth. Doom yeah. synth. I mean, if it's going to be really, if you're really going to make it, Doom synth. <laughs> you need two you gotta synth have players. Two synths. Can you guys, as just for anybody, any listeners who aren't familiar with the the genre of doom synth, uh, would you describe it as like, um, I don't know, um, just just uh, the soundtrack to a movie when something really scary is happening on the screen? Is that what doom synth is? Yes, I, I picture it sort of like Jack the Ripper's coolest day or hanging out <laughs> around town. <laughs> And, but add in, you know, some some like Vangelis underneath. Some Vangelis, right? He's the guy who made the soundtrack for Blade Runner and Chariots I of Fire. See, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, that sounds incredible. And I, I like that your idea, your your example of a really bad idea is something that Steve Irwin is behind. And yes. you know, maybe we should, and maybe the, maybe we should drop everything <laughs> and yeah. just go for Are it. Are there man. any keyboards in here? Mm-hmm. We can we can probably find some for you oh, during the break. Be so cool. Um, bam, 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 bam. So, oh, that sounds great. So okay. it sounds like, um, just based on the way that this interaction happened, that you were like a big idea guy, but you right. need an editor. You need somebody to say that's a good idea, run with that. That's a good. That's a bad idea, don't run with that. That sort of thing. Yes, and because I was so sort of, I couldn't decide whether something was good and bad. People often co-opted my ideas and robbed me for the credit. Yeah, I, I know something similar happened with you with the cotton gin, yeah. but. Um, I'm assuming that you're saying this because there were other ideas of yours that people took right. uh, besides the cotton gin and yes. then like made a lot of money off of like, what were some of the other uh, examples that you, you know, you told somebody and they said, oh, that's a bad idea. Don't do it. But then they went and did it and made a lot of money. I was like, we should bu- drop a nuke on Japan. <laughs> and, people, and people were like, mm, I don't think so. And then years later, it happened, and I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Who do you think got rich off of dropping the bomb oh, on Japan? I mean, everybody. Everybody. I, I, yeah, right. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. gosh, look at the 50s. America benefited so much by that one simple decision. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. It you was know. all about just finally going for the idea. Right. <laughs> Going and grabbing it, don't hesitate, don't wait, and don't wait to patent your idea. I'm sure, I'm sure that a lot of people were confused by this idea, what with nuclear bombs not being a thing yet. Right. But you were confident. You were like, there's going to be a thing called a nuclear bomb, we should drop it on Japan. I wasn't, well, I wasn't so sure. Again, you know, when I get high, I'm just like, "Uh, I can't decide if this is good or bad. (laughs) 
I see. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are 20th century Australian zookeeper and television personality Steve Irwin, a.k.a. the Crocodile Hunter. Koala, koala. And 18th century American inventor of the cotton gin, Eli Whitney. Good afternoon. I'm wondering, because we were just talking about Eli Whitney's sort of muse, his first <laughs> his first uh, manager, if you will, this uh, Mrs. Green, this war widow. Um, did you have anybody in your life, Steve Irwin, that was like, you know, you have these ideas, uh, you know, I'm going to start a zoo, I'm going to be a conservationist, I'm going to be a TV personality. Did, did anybody push you in the right direction as well? Did you, have, did you have a Mrs. Green in your life? Well, you know, the, uh, the, the, the polite answer I would give is my wife is my mm, muse. Yes. That's a load of, that's a crock of bullshit. <laughs> but it's not right. So Terry Rain's your wife, not your editor, not your manager, not, no. not the person who pushed you in the right direction. No. Who was it? It was my buddy Toby. Toby? <laughs> what was Toby's he deal? He was a fucking madman. He was just, he was the one who pushed me. It's like, you thought I was crazy. You should have seen the shit Toby did. But we couldn't get him on, on camera ever because he was so filthy. He, what, you mean like he was filthy like he would tell us In every it. way possible. So he told dirty jokes. Dirty jokes. Also, his clothes were dirty. It smelled like shit. He smelled like shit. He had bad breath. He was just a dirty guy from head to toe. He was a filthy fucker. He had a lot of unprotected sex. Yeah. Just like a gross, gross man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this Toby guy, he's a friend of yours. And what are some of the ideas that you ran by him that he okayed and then you eventually did them in your life? Uh, well, okay. Uh, baby dangle. The ba- <laughs> baby dangle. I ran that by him. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was already something my family did, but yes, I was like, you know, kind of like Eli. I was like, is this a good or a bad? And he's like, no, good, mate. It's all good. It's good now. Give me another pint. What uh, What else is something that uh, he that Toby gave you the thumbs up for, that he gave you the green light for? Uh, wrestling crocodiles. See, but again, these things, they seem like things that were already going on in your family. Yeah. At what point in your life did you meet Toby? How old were you? Uh, He's my best mate. I met him when I was probably <laughs> one month old. Oh, so a very early friend. Yeah. Like right out of the womb, basically. Yeah, pretty much. That makes much. a lot of sense. I mean, it really seems like this guy kind of um, kind of directed your life. Yeah, he was an orphan. Oh, he was an orphan. He walked the streets of my hometown. Oh. And he was just a filthy little bugger. <laughs> and he would go off into the outback and, and I would... And sometimes I'd be like, well, I'm going to go with Toby. And I would go into the outback. <laughs> now, you see, based on the Wikipedia, kind of makes it seem like it was your family's profession to go out into the wild and interact with these animals. But you're saying that it's mainly because you met this orphan, Toby, who yeah. you wanted to go on adventures with. Well, my family would go and they'd try to help animals and uh, nurse them back to health. But mm. Toby would be like, hey, mate, go wrestle that croc and I'll fucking take a picture of it. <laughs> You know, uh, we employed a lot of orphans in my factory. It yeah. sounds like Toby would have been an, a great employee. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet he would be. Seems like he'd be down for anything. That's know? right. Uh, so there's a couple of um, of reptile-based um, uh, uh, things that happen in your life. Um, and I want, I'd like to ask you just about a, a couple of them. I'm sure that probably more than, more than half of them were Toby-inspired. Uh, so when you were six, you got a 12-foot python as a pet. Is that right? <laughs> It's not the only 12-foot python I had if you get my trip. Steve <laughs> oh, You're talking about you're your talking, penis. Talking about having... <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Steve Irwin, come on, man. Come hey, on. It's true, mate. <laughs> it's true. You don't believe me, I'll it's whip around. It's true. 12-foot dong. That's what you're saying? Yeah. 12 feet. 12 foot. That's incredible. <laughs> 
Wow. It's a problem. It, it is would a be problem. a problem. That's taller than than two average human beings stepped on top of each other. You're saying your dick is that big, Steve Irwin. You know, you could tie that thing around a flywheel and let it rip like you were starting a, 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 a lawnmower. <laughs> I could, and I did, mate. You, that's wow. how you started lawnmowers when you were growing up. Yep. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Okay, Got so. a big old cock. <laughs> it's so refreshing to be amongst men where we can discuss these kind of things without freedom of uh, persecution. Um, now, Mr. Whitney, I feel like what you're saying there is a very non-progressive <laughs> thing. Right. Like, I think that we need to be in a culture that includes women. Right. Because there's nothing like special or great about like a men getting around and talking about their dicks like this oh, is not i don't know this isn't a positive this feels, this feels special right <laughs> it's, now it's, oh, really? it's it's moment. yeah try it. i will be just agree disagree on this so you have this 12 foot python and i'm, I'm uh, talking about the actual python. Which, which one might uh, so let's talk about the actual literal python for okay. a moment. Did, you, did you have a name for that python did you give him a name was it your pet uh Little Steve. Little oh, Steve. you're talking about no. The... Talking about the literal. It's so python. confusing. Oh, yeah. It's not confusing. Anything's saying, on the table right now. I'm saying it's literal thrilling. python. I'm saying literal python. Okay, yeah, that right. that python's name was uh, koala. Koala. That seems confusing. It was confusing, but that's how I <laughs> that's how I did it back then. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that you named your penis Little Steve, considering that the penis was about twice the size of your body, your physical body. So yeah, uh, if, if anything, that's big, Steve. You're little or regular, Steve. Uh, so then you begin handing cro- handling crocodiles at the age of nine. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's when you wrestled your first crocodile. And so that's a Toby thing? That, yeah, that was a Toby idea. Well, because my family was like, hey, let's nurse this hurt crocodile over here. And uh, get it well again. And I was like, no, let's fucking fight that <laughs> healthy one right there. And then I did. And you did. And you. And I'm assuming that you won the wrestling match because obviously, you know, otherwise you would have lost a hand, lost a foot. That's sort of yeah. thing. I won every wrestling match I ever had with an animal except for one. Except for uh, the stingray? Stingray right through the fucking heart. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Well, based on <laughs> based on the story, well, let's, we'll, we'll get to that later, but I just wanted to put this out there, a little teaser. Just based on what we know about that incident, it doesn't seem like you were wrestling. It seems like you were sort of like giving it its distance, but it still threatened and attacked you. But we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment. I want to go back to uh, Eli Whitney for just a moment. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your famous invention of the cotton gin. Right. So... Cotton gin sifts the seeds out of cotton by passing it through uh, a fiber mesh that the seeds can't get through. Mm. And the story goes that you were that that the the way that you got this idea was that you saw a cat that was attempting to pull a chicken through a fence. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, obviously the fence was, you know, too small for the chicken to get through. And it kind of like removed some of the feathers from the chicken. So is that true? Is that story true, or is that apocryphal? No, it's totally true. Okay. You know, I used to like to watch cats murder uh, things. <laughs> as I told you before, I believe that all creatures should sort of be decimated and destroyed. So when I see them fighting one another, it just makes me giggle. Makes so you happy. I was watching this cat. He was pulling the chicken through the barbed wire fence and just getting a bunch of feathers. And I thought, boy, if we could do that with cotton, oh, the world would be a better place. Okay. So this is a regular activity that you did where you would just like look for animals that were hurting other animals and just sit and laugh right. and giggle. Gotcha. Yes. So I used to watch like a dog fighting with a, a little chipmunk. And I thought, oh, gosh, we could turn that into, like, a skateboard. <laughs> a 
sorry. That's where you got the idea for skateboards was right. watching a dog mangle a squirrel. Is uh, that right? A dog had picked the bones clean of a squirrel gotcha. and then it got on top of it and just started riding the skeleton <laughs> and saying like cowabunga. I find this very hard to believe. <laughs> well, the dog I was high. The dog was Let's <laughs> see. So maybe maybe none of this maybe maybe some of this didn't actually happen. Maybe this yes. was a little bit of your marijuana inspired brain kind of putting the pieces together yes okay Uh, i have to ask you were there any other inventions that you thought of besides the skateboard besides the cotton gin that were because of animal mutilations that you watched with glee what what other inventions were inspired by that yes well i watched two fish biting each other's faces off (laughs) and then i thought to myself oh gosh man microchips should exist Oh, man. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Right. That's not even A to C. No, if you think about it. Yeah, the network of their flesh interrelating to one another, it just, I thought about a breadboard with little circuits and resistors. (laughs) And uh, it all makes perfect sense in the moment. No, I mean, I think I read something about that in the Steve Jobs uh, biography where he had watched fish eat each other's faces off. He did not admit that that's where he came up with microprocessors. but. It's so it's so clear it's now obvious. now that you think about it. That's right. Um, Steve I mean, Jobs, another he's in the uh, club of elite Steve. <laughs> oh, elite yes. Steves. Yes, there's, there's only a few of us. It's Steve Jobs, Steve who Irwin, I, who I think is a real cunt, by the way. <laughs> okay, and Steve Irwin, that's me. Mm-hmm. And Steve Martin, he's hilarious. Well, he's not. He's not. Hasn't passed yet. So yeah. I don't know. Is that you can be an elite Steve and not have passed. He's in there. Are there only three elite Steves? I think so. <laughs> Only three. I mean, that sounds incredible. There'll never be a President Steve, you know? I I need to... (laughs) There might be... There might actually have already been a President Steve. But, I mean, he was Steven, probably. But not Steve. But not Steve. Hey, I'm President Steve. How you doing? Well, he wouldn't say that. I mean, and honestly, you know, there wouldn't... I mean, the office of president is just such a... It's it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Was that what you were going to say, Steve? I was going to say it's just the high. I can't imagine anyone not who isn't a great person being president. Yeah, it's it's, it's difficult to imagine that somebody could work their way through the ranks and eventually become president and be just a giant piece of shit. Mm. You know, it's it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty impressive feat. Uh, if that were to have ever happened, it would never happen. Um, but what was I going to ask you? So. Uh, Steve Irwin, you saw animals fight all the time. You must have seen your fair share of animal mutilations. Were you ever inspired, similar to Eli Whitney, uh, to invent things because of uh, animal animal uh, desecrations or animal uh, molest- uh, maulings that you saw? Uh, you know, I wish. I wish I had a brain like yours that would just go to that. I would just see two, two animals fighting, and I'd be like, oh, fucking cool. <laughs> So you, and then I'd be like, jump in, let me get a piece. And then you want to get in and you want to fight also. Yeah. And then I assume Toby was probably like just getting dirty while you were doing that. Or <laughs> Toby, something. yeah. If he was around, he'd be he'd be just hopping in before me. Oh, he would fight the uh, the animals also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, Toby. You. I mean, he, you know, he lost a lot of his fights. Yeah, so. is this, Toby, <laughs> this isn't Toby Keith we're talking about, is it? What was what was Toby's last it's name? Toby Keith. It's Toby Keith. That's amazing. Country music star Toby Keith was the one who convinced you to wrestle alligators, wrestle crocodiles, uh, keep a python as a pet. That's what he thing? would. Ki- 
You got me. I didn't want to say anything because he's still alive. But yes, I grew up in Australia with Toby Keith. That's amazing. Uh, I'm a fan incredible. of the music, but I have to admit, I was the first one to think of the lyric, I'll stick a boot up your ass. It's the American way. Right. Wait, is that, uh, those are Toby Keith lyrics? Yeah. I'll stick a boot up your ass, the American way. It's right. his 9-11 song. <laughs> and it was very popular in the Confederacy, let me tell you. Oh, really? Okay. Right. So you wrote this song beforehand. I scribbled it on a piece of paper. And, and how? What was the inspiration for you writing the lyrics, I'll stick a boot up your ass, it's the American way. No, because there was this guy, and he said something to me in the bar. He said, oh, you're such a fop. You're such a dandy fop. And I literally put a boot up his ass. You took an entire boot and right. you shoved it up his it ass. It took about an hour and a half. <laughs> But it was totally worth it. Slowly squeezing, slowly moving, rotating, working, massaging, maybe grabbing some oils. Yes, but he never bothered me again. (laughs) Of course not. That's right. I can't believe, I mean, he must have been struggling a lot while this was happening. He was screaming, but I had his neck in a vice grip that I invented for that sole purpose. He brought the vice grip with you to the bar? Right, mm-hmm. I always carried you, one. You carried it with you to the bar, oh, man. That's, interesting. Yes, interesting. It's bloody brilliant. Yes. This must be, I mean, shoving shoving a boot, a literal boot, <laughs> Uh, completely up someone's ass so that I'm assuming in, until you can't see any more pieces of no, it. No, not it's just a single piece. Completely up there. There have to be similar wrestling techniques to wrestling a crocodile. Like, I'm, I'm sure that a person does a lot of squirming and thrashing, well, you know, trying to stop you from putting the boot up their ass. Well, I was not the athlete that Steve is. He, uh, and so I had about a dozen orphans holding him down. Oh, I see. They you always traveled with me like Oompa Loompas. <laughs> you, had, you had your vice grip you right. had your team of orphans yes. that were helping to hold you down um and uh and then you eventually got this boot up this guy's ass and then he didn't uh didn't bother you ever you were, yes ever I, was, I was going around with a whole sort of pt barnum situation just like a uh like a like a team of people like, like a, a traveling like posse where we'll kick your ass if you say something mean to us and we'll also invent some really cool devices <laughs> it's just based on the ass kicking that's right that's a that's got to be insult to injury. Just like, oh man, he kicked my ass, and then that's where we got the um, you know, the the pulley system. Right. Uh, we've got to take a short break, unfortunately. Uh, but we will be right back with Eli Whitney and Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter on Famous Dead People. Stay with us. Hey everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts, rate us five stars, leave a comment, tell your friends, all that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioForBrooklyn.org if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us, whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out JarrettBarrenson.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to RadioForBrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening and now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are 20th century Australian zookeeper, conservationist, and television personality Steve Irwin, also known as the Crocodile Hunter. 
Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. (laughs) And the 18th century American inventor, best known for inventing the cotton gin, Eli Whitney. Good afternoon, America. Uh, So uh, before the break, we were talking to to, uh, Eli Whitney about all the different inventions that he had come up with. Uh, But I wanted to switch over to Steve Irwin for just a moment to talk about uh, your lovely wife, Terry Rains. Uh, uh, you meet her in... 19- Hotty boom body. <laughs> I beg your pardon? Hotty boom body. Hotty boom body. Is that... Um, cause, so I like to ask about when you first met her. Uh, so she's this American naturalist. She's visiting wildlife facilities in Australia and decides to visit your zoo. Um, did you do anything? Like when you saw her, were you like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. I want to I wanna take her on a date. Did you do anything to impress her? Uh, like what were your early dates like? That sort of a thing. Oh yeah, right away I was like... Oh, it was love at first sight, mate. And so I said, oh, like you said, I got to impress her. Mm-hmm. So I just jumped right down, and it was me best mate, uh, me best mate, Crocodile. I had a best crocodile mate. Okay, so and, so not Toby. No, not Toby. You know, Toby Keith is your best friend who was really dirty and an orphan and would get you into a lot of trouble. Toby Keith. Uh, Toby Keith. Uh, but this was a crocodile that was your best friend. Yeah, he was like my best mate, Croc. Gotcha. You know, he and I was like, I... Dude, I've got to wrestle. I've got to really kick your fucking ass to impress this American lady. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, in crocodile speak, he was like, "Ho, oh, brother, here we go." <laughs> and so I fucking wrestled this shit out of him. I maybe went a little too hard on him because I think he was really genuinely hurt. Mm, but Terry, she, I mean, and she was she, impressed by this. Oh, you could just tell she was fucking turned on. <laughs> Okay, so I, I have to ask because your crocodile friend, did he have a name, by the way, this crocodile? Snatcher. Snatcher, gotcha. Why did you, why'd you call Snatcher, just out of curiosity? Because if you got near if you got near him, he'd Snatcher. He'd snatch your he'd just life. Snatch, <laughs> snatch your life away from you. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so Snatcher, he's, his tone of voice when you were describing this plot to him, like, you gotta let me wrestle you in front of this lady to impress her. He was like, oh, not again. So was this like a regular thing you used to do to, to impress the women that would come to your uh, to your your wildlife facility in Australia? Yeah, it was kind of my thing. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. I mean, honestly, if you could wrestle crocodiles, you can you can impress any woman you want. Hmm. And was this this was an effective uh, technique? Oh, yeah. Hmm, gotcha. What made it different for Terry, though, that you're like, this is the woman I'm going to settle down with? You know, it was just... She had a way about her. She, she, uh, first of all, the main thing was we had the same clothes. Yeah, this. <laughs> I Sorry. always wore a brown now, beige. Eli Whitney, shirt. I, yeah, I, I would I, love to get your opinion on this because right. so we see the TV show, right? Uh, Steve Irwin, we see you both in the, in the full khaki getup with the shorts on and everything. Uh, and I at least assumed that she put that on because that was what you you were wearing and you wanted to have like a similar look for the TV show. No, mate. Eli, did you think that also watched uh, the crocodile? That honor? was my impression. <laughs> Although gotcha. I'm, I was sort of struck. The thing that I, I, she is a beautiful woman. She's a beautiful woman. And I really like the fact that she'd never wore makeup. Yeah, she was all natural. Oh, did she not wear makeup? I didn't know that about Well, I, that's what I assume. <laughs> and when, what, what that signals to me is that she's a plain woman. And she's ready to go on to new frontiers. She's not fussing about with a bunch of, you know, dilly-dally nonsense. She, mm. You can just play, sort of pr- plug her into any factory, plug her into any sort of uh, industrial wasteland, and she's ready to just turn a crank. Or, or conversely, maybe she's really open-minded to whatever kind of 
new sexual uh, deviances mm, you might right. want to uh, introduce her to, or, or you know, incorporate her into. Well, I don't want. I don't. That's I'll, my wife, mate. <laughs> Sorry, but I thought that's my widow. <laughs> I just wanted to be. I just wanted to Your be clear. Weirdo? No, widow. 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 He's got a strong accent, so. Uh, that can be confusing. Yeah, no, I, I just assumed that that was like another thing that you might be interested in doing with a plain woman. I apologize. You know, I don't want yeah, to disparage. My wife was quite a tart. A tart. She would put face paint on. She looked like Bozo the Clown. Too and much makeup. Yes, I, sometimes I would think, gosh, if I had a Terry who just wore a suit and tie every single day, just like me, and never wore a <laughs> dash of makeup. Gosh, I'd really go places. You'd so really you're a lucky man. I am lucky. It was just like <laughs> she walked in and just like, wow, I've been looking for a woman who had the same khaki shorts and shirt and mm, boots on, Timberland yeah. boots to did go you, mucking about. After you after you wrestled the alligator, sorry, after, after you wrestled the crocodile, did you say anything like, like oh, God, I, I can't believe you wore the same thing today. How embarrassing. Something cute, like to try to like make fun of the fact that you guys are dressed the same or, or anything like that? No, I said, where'd you get your outfit? <laughs> what did she say? She said the khaki and short, the khaki short store. Mm. And I said the one in Perth. And she said, yeah. And I said, was Ben the salesman who sold it to you? And she said, yeah. And I said, me too. <laughs> wow. What That's a, a beautiful story. Can I ask a question? Yeah, uh, of course. What were those clothes made out of? Mate, I guess they were made out of cotton. <laughs> I knew it. I knew just by how comfortable they looked. And how and how well they draped your body. Yes. Cotton really is the fabric of our lives. It you know? really is. And we really have you to thank for it. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Eli Whitney, about so your original plan for the cotton gin. You make the cotton gin, uh, but you, your original plan is to not sell them. Yes. Your plan is just to go around from plantation to plantation and remove the seeds from everybody's cotton for a price. Yes. Um, but because they saw you then doing this with this device, and it wasn't that complicated of a device, yeah. uh, then they just went and invented their own, yes. and you lost a lot of money because right. people just would, would would build their own cotton gins. Is yes. that right? Sure. I, like, Let me give you an example. I went to Tuscaloosa. Okay? I sat down We're with these— We're all tied. Oh. <laughs> I guess. We're um, all tied. That's what they would say to me. And I'd say, what are you talking about? And they were like, football. <laughs> But uh, I didn't know what that was at the time. But mm -hmm. um, and so I sat down with these two businessmen and I showed them the cotton gym. And as we're discussing it, one of them starts to kind of fuss about with some metal and some wood. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making it. I'm making what you're talking about. And I was like, stop it. I know. What are you doing? I'm here to license this thing to you. He's like, no, I already got one. And like, what the what the hell? <laughs> Uh, and so it's very frustrating. That would happen all the time. That happened. All, it happened a lot of times. That Every happened? time I sat After... down with someone, they would have a cotton gin of their own making. By the time we got up and left, I just can't believe that uh, cotton gin is that easy to make. That they can just sit there and make it like as they're having a conversation with you. Sure. I mean, it, look, you can make your own Spotify if you want to. You can make your own Spotify. Sure. You can make your own Spotify. You could just start coding, and it's really like two lines of code. It just says, "I'm oh, sorry." Yes. Spotify, it's yes. two lines of code. Right. It just says public.music equals play now. <laughs> and then it says, and then a line of code that says go, command prompt, thumbs up. 
Wow. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of programming language, right. but that sounds on point to me. Yes. It sounds like that would be Spotify. So can you imagine Spotify. how frustrating it is to the people yeah. behind the helm of that corporation? I'm just also surprised that you didn't then stop telling investors and businessmen about it, knowing that they then leave with a perfect replica of your cotton gin. Well, you know what I did? I got into making guns. <laughs> and so I just started showing up with guns everywhere. I see. And I, I said, we'll just point a gun to their face while I was talking to them. And I was like, what do you, what, what do you think makes a good dealer? Do you want to walk away dead or do you want to walk away a millionaire? Mm, gotcha. Uh, but that still even didn't really work out. Why, why, why not hide your invention then? Why not, you know, like you go to a plantation, you say, give me all your cotton, I'll remove the seeds. And you do it behind a curtain or something where people can't see the mechanism. And it's just like magic almost. Yeah. I was smoking too much weed. I see. Yes. I, you know, to, to be honest, even though I am an industrialist, I do want to end all animal life. Okay. I also enjoy just blissing out with a spliff and sort of <laughs> smoking some a fat spleef <laughs> and just kind of like thinking about what, uh, about, about art. I guess, really. About art, yeah. about different inventions that you can make. Right. And uh, so I, and, and also the sex sort of became mm. a little bit of an addiction, mm. which can happen. And around that time, photography was coming into play. And so there were porno mags. Mm. And just a lot of stuff started to creep in to eat away at my industrial nature. I see. Yes. You kept on, you were being tempted by. Uh, by Lady Jane yeah. and uh, oh, Lady yeah. Jane, Mary Jane. There's oh, something about Mary Jane. Jane. Mary Jane, nothing like her, like a doobie and some porn. <laughs> <laughs> you appreciate that. The truth. Uh, that's a Sunday right there. <laughs> sure so, is. Just a fat hey, hell, that's a Tuesday morning. <laughs> now, but but Steve, you Monday through me, Friday. It seems like you a clean living guy. I, is that true or not true? I mean, how much time? Could you, like, set aside from your work with animals to invest in porn and drugs? Oh, man, I had a whole double life. Wow. People double don't life. Know about. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I was sorry. How do you think I had all that energy? Uh, I, we just assumed that, that you had, like, a natural disposition. You know, Terry said that when she first met you, you, you had the exact same energy that you had on the show, just... Really positive and yeah, because you know, I was life. skiing the slopes the I whole see. time, doing a little cocaine. Oh yeah, I mean, little... you got to. Uh -huh. You're gonna wrestle Crocs. It's just like give me a big fucking line. <laughs> just, so I uh... go to town and then ready to wrestle that fucking crocodile. I see. Is it safe to say that you were uh, high on copious amounts of cocaine in, during every piece of filming that you ever did for uh, the Crocodile Hunter? Uh, television appearances on the late on the, the the Tonight Show. It's safe to say, except for one. Except for one. When a stingray stung me around the fucking. That heart. was the oh. one time you weren't on cocaine. Yeah, it's people say don't do drugs and work. I say the opposite. Always do drugs when you work. Because the one time you didn't, I got stung. That's when you got stung by a fucking stingray. You can't, you can't let up off the gas once you, you know, the car is in motion. <laughs> exactly. You got all this momentum. That's when people get into act car accidents. I think that's a statistic, right? Like 90% of car accidents happen when you take your foot off the gas. That's fascinating. Right? Yeah. I could be making that up. I have no idea. Um, but this let's, feels true. I have to ask you specifically about, so the pilot of The Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. Uh, so you and your wife, you get married. You decide to spend your honeymoon trapping crocodiles together. This is on, on the Wikipedia, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and then there was a man named John Stainton who filmed it. And that became the pilot for your 
television show, The Crocodile Hunter. Is that right? Only thing I'll correct is it wasn't John Stanton. It was John Stamos. John Stamos? Wow. John Stamos was the one who filmed the pilot of The Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. On your honeymoon. Oh, yeah. He was just, he happened to be in the same place. Gotcha. This wasn't planned at all. And he's like, uh, he was just walking around with a a large camera. Mm, okay. And I said, Mike, come over here. My wife would trip in Crocs. Film it. And he was like, you know, he's like, okay. You know, <laughs> that's my good, impression of him. It's a pretty good John Stamos yes. impression. I think he was on break from touring with the Beach Boys. I see. Uh, John Stamos did do stuff with the Beach Boys in relation to when he was on uh, when he was on Full House, right? Yeah, but he also just toured with them. Oh, I see. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, talk about a group of partiers. <laughs> oh, with the Beach Boys? <laughs> oh, yeah. With the old, old Beach Boys. Old Beach old Boys. Old Beach Boys. When they were in the 80s is when they really hit their groove party-wise. when they were uh, really expanding their boundaries. Uh, yeah. You know, with- I mean, Kokomo? It's the best song I've ever heard. It is pretty great. Kokomo, I don't think it's the best uh, Beach Boys oh, song. Oh, man, either. you're wrong. That's the most experimental out there music trip I've ever heard. I, dis- I got to say, I disagree with that. I disagree with that really <laughs> oh, hard. No, that's yeah. that, that. People disagree on what version of the Beach Boys is the best. And I, for my money, it's Kokomo it's Beach definitely Boys. definitely Kokomo. All and right. It's frustrating to me because I also <laughs> thought that one up too. You, you the song Kokomo? did Kokomo. Right. Except I, mine started out, it was like, Steel Towns, Pittsburgh, come <laughs> on Cincinnati, make some rods and some gears. <laughs> Let's get some reusable, interchangeable parts. So it sounds like you invented the melody of Kokomo, but yours was about... Mine was about industrial Not Aruba, Jamaica. It was about industrial cities and and making interchangeable (laughs) parts. Yes, and it wasn't. And instead of John Stamos joining me on stage, it was John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller. (laughs) Right. Interesting. I didn't think that he he was alive, uh, at least for another hundred years or so. Oh, this is not the famous one. This This is is a different John D. Rockefeller. His predecessor. Correct. Gotcha. Great grand father or something oh man i'd I'd pay to see that show a couple of (laughs) captains of industry really dancing doing the thing nothing better than when uh rich white dudes decide they're going to become musicians another Uh, one of my favorite bands uh uh james dolan james dolan the owner of the knicks has his own band (laughs) called jd in the straight shot and that's true look it up it's great Okay, I'm sure they're wonderful. Uh, for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are 18th century American inventor of the cotton gin, Eli Whitney. Hello, everyone. And 20th century Australian zookeeper and television personality, Steve Irwin, a.k.a. the Crocodile Hunter. And off the proverbial cap. So um, let's go back to uh, Eli Whitney for just a moment. So an unfortunate side effect of your invention of the cotton gin is that it strengthened the economic foundation for slavery in Correct. the United States. Yes. And some historians posit uh, that the cotton gin, in fact, rejuvenated the plantation slave industry, and that renewed passion kind of snowballed into the Civil War. Mm. Do, do you feel like that's true in your experience, you being alive at the time? Did you see, like, you know, slavery is kind of petering out, but my cotton gin kind of reinvigorated it, and then that passion kind of, like, exploded into the Civil War? Like, would you say that that's an accurate statement? Uh- not my fault. Okay. okay. Uh, I made something really cool. There's no need to get defensive about this. No, 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 no. Well, look, hey, 
Uh, yeah. So you invent like a vape pen, okay. and then people are loading it with that like K two weird marijuana substitute, synthetic stuff, and and uh, you know, or or you you invent something like a a, a self driving car or whatever, and then that car careens off the road, smashes into a crowd full of people, and uh, you know, so what? So I made something that's like bad to the bone, and then yes, slavery sort of increased. Um, but, uh, I don't take any of the blame for that. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't think that anybody would argue that, like, you were intentionally trying to reinvigorate slavery and put more momentum behind slavery and then start a civil war. Right. But would you agree that it might have been an unfortunate side effect of, of your invention? The same way that, you know, like, the people who invented the internet didn't envision you know like alt-right websites or mm. you know like uh like like 4chan and pepe you know like that sort of thing but they, they'd have to admit that yeah without the internet they wouldn't be able to do that would you at least admit that your cotton gin kind of helped to to spurn on the civil war and reinvigorate slavery i feel like you're putting me in the uncomfortable position <laughs> of having to admit that slavery was wrong <laughs> I don't think that's an uncomfortable and, position. Uh, right. I think it's a common position. I think that everybody should adopt that position. Yes. And I'm going to say, yes, it was wrong. Okay, good. However, I think that the cotton gin was, like, probably super cool <laughs> and good for everybody. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. Would you rather have the end of slavery or would I don't you... Wait, uh, let me just stop you right, right there. Correct. End of slavery. It's the end of slavery. It doesn't matter what the next thing is that you're going to well, say. Let's hear him out. Let's hear him out. But here's the bottom line. I don't have a high regard for life. I see. Of yes. any kind. That's been, that's been made very clear, abundantly clear. And so anything synth, whether it be music, mm-hmm. whether it be equipment, you know, down with life, up with synth <laughs> up is with my synth. motto. Okay, gotcha. Right. I don't eat, I don't eat anything natural. <laughs> I just eat sort of powders, powders protein powders, like um, like uh, like that that, that soylent stuff, that soylent. like meal substitutes. Correct. I, yeah, I just eat creatine mm. mostly. You want nature to be as far removed from your life as possible. Yes. So, so when this civil war and all this stuff was happening, I was just sort of on a different plane. I am sort of the human embodiment of like those robots on the Matrix. Okay. I just wanted gotcha. everything to just be a cube. I'm you like want- the. The Borg. Yes, yes. I'm a robot. You're a robot. We're all going to live in a perfectly perfect robot society. Yes. Gotcha. Like, look at me. I'm just a f- sack of flesh with a couple of bones sticking <laughs> so in. So you're saying then that, that, that leading us towards that society and that slavery was an unfortunate consequence of that. Like, I would rather have slavery... So long as it's moving us in that direction, is that what you're saying? Slavery, schmavery. I'm <laughs> apolitical. I'm apolitical. It's not a political statement, though, to be against slavery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, we, all the things I've created, all the all the mechanisms and so forth, are sort of industrial slaves. In that they, I want just want everything systematic, no consciousness. Okay. Yes. And you already was going to have problematic views coming in here. <laughs> Look, I told you I was going to sh- shoot it straight. It is, it is an, uh, it is, it is a, a consequence of doing a show with people from the far past. Sometimes people's uh, attitudes are a little bit problematic, but you know what? That's what we're here to talk about and to learn and to discover. You know, there's no judgments. And I'm here. an open-minded guy. Yeah. If, you, if you, you know, you bring some new information to the table, I'll listen. 
Okay. Hey, I've got some new information. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go for it. How about a name for our, our Doom Synth band? Yeah. Slavery Schmavery. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Steve like Irwin and Eli Whitney, you're, you're Doom Synth bands where you both play Doom Synth and there's no other instruments. Is going to be called slavery schmavery. Yeah, and the, and, the, and sort of the rhythm section could be uh, that there's this band that has all robots playing guitars and drums. Ooh, fun! So that could they could be our backup. That could be that. Uh, let's move over to uh, Steve Irwin just a moment. So, uh, Crocodile Hunter, your TV show, uh, becomes this massive international success. Uh, you're you're you're. You're going into all sorts of wild environments and engaging with different types of reptiles and sea life and animals. Um, you did this for 11 years. And I'm wondering, was there anything that ended up on the cutting room floor, something that you wish that the public had had a chance to see, but that maybe didn't fit quite into an episode, but you thought it was great and, and wild or whatever, so it had to go? Yeah, we had a segment called, hey, come here, mate, look over there. <laughs> and it would be me looking in the camera and say, hey, mate, come over here, look over there. And it would be, it'd be two animals fucking each other. <laughs> I'm sorry. So was this, was this in the pilot or was this something that you tried to add later on after the show was already? already I would always, I would all we would shoot it for every episode because mm -hmm. I was always pushing for that to be a, a regular segment. And, and I'm sure you spend enough time in the wild, you're, you're going to see a lot of animals doing it. All the time, know? all okay. the time. So we would always get it and I'd be like, all right, guys, let's just get it. Okay, let's get it. So we have it. All right. And they would be like, no, we're wasting our time. And I'd be like, no, come on, look. Come here, mate. Look over there. <laughs> and they'd be like, all right. And then they'd shoot it. So there's hours upon hours of footage of me throwing to a couple of animals that making love. Gotcha, gotcha. And so what kind of animals are we talking about? Because I know that, there, you know, you did 11 seasons. You you hit so many different environments. Uh, you You saw so many different kinds of animals, not just reptiles. Uh, so, like, what sort of things did you see uh, doing it that you wanted to put into the show and show people? Uh, ducks. Ducks doing it? Birds of paradise. Okay, cool. Uh, elephants. Elephants doing it. I've never, that that seems insane. They're so big. They're yeah, big. To think about them doing it, yeah. It's crazy. It's mm -hmm. fucking crazy. Is it just, You'd watch it, right? <laughs> this is why I was trying to get into When the are show. we going to get access to this footage? Because that's fascinating. <laughs> sure. You're, you're going to have to talk to my wife. I'm sure it exists Is somewhere. it like a time capsule where it'll be released in 20, 30, 100 years? I hope so. I hope it's like uh, like the Kennedy, the Warren report, you mm. know, on Kennedy's assassination well, where sure after 50 years. There's footage of every animal doing it on YouTube. Like, we could go watch that today, but we would just be missing the part where you, Steve Irvin, would, would, would look into the camera and say... Hey, come here, look over at this. <laughs> How about this? Yeah. Let's, after this, let's go look up some YouTube videos. Of different of animals fucking. And all, and you can shoot on your phone, me going, hey, come over here, look <laughs> at this. And then you shoot. And then we'll pan over to a, someone looking at YouTube on their phone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds what, really watchable. That's that could viral. Be, that could be a good, uh, that could yeah. be a good series, like a good digital series, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah. All but, these different companies looking for content. That could be wonderful. I'm yeah. curious. So your wife is now in control of your estate and all of this great footage. Mm -hmm. So she's really sort of uh, got a lot of power. Yeah. She oh, has. Yeah. She could release this at any time. And this is like, I guess, like uh, Paisley, pa pa whatever Prince's estate is, where they've just got tons of material. Is that the way it goes? Is there a lot of cool hidden thousands we seen yet? Thousands of oh, hours yeah, so of Prince. Much. Yeah. What, like like stuff that your your wife has. Oh, yeah. That she could release. Oh, yeah. She's got, I mean, she's got that. 
Mm-hmm. She's got some of my music projects. One was, uh, it was just uh, me covering Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda. This is a famous Australian song. Yes. Yeah, wonderful song. But I did it with synth, and I just screamed oh, okay. the lyrics. I <laughs> wow. sort of screamed synth. I'm loving it. <laughs> well, okay, so so your, your wife controls all this footage. She probably won't ever release the, hey, come here, look at this footage. <laughs> Uh, that's an unfortunate. Uh, but there was a similar thing that happened with your family, uh, Eli Whitney, after you passed away because you had prostate cancer. Oh, and according to Wikipedia, according to Wikipedia, you invented uh, these devices that would help ease the suffering right. of other people with prostate issues. Yes. Uh, but that your family, the, the one that controlled your estate, didn't release any of the designs. Yes. So none of these things got made because they thought that it was like indelicate right. to to make things that would help with people's prostates yep. like what exactly were these devices that you invented all right uh and and why did why did your family think that they were so indelicate or out there that they can't release them to the public well uh picture in your mind a rotating drum okay. with 15 hypodermic needles attached to okay. it and each one filled with a different grade of morphine okay and now imagine that uh next to your prostate just spinning constantly just poking you all the time with different types of morphine and each type of morphine has a little different kick to it. Okay? So that was one. Then there was a suction machine. I have a lot of follow-up questions for this. How fast is this thing spinning around? Like, is it like poke, 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 poke? Or is it like poke, 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 sort of like that? Or, or like, what's what's the tempo of this? It was kind of like uh, 120 BPM. Okay. Yeah, like uh, 120 uh, bumps Per minute, and by bumps, that was kind of like my term for the hypodermic needle so hitting my two, prostate. Two hypodermic needles ejecting morphine into your butt, uh, into your prostate area per second. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, what was the other one? It was like a suction device? Yes, it was a suction device that would go over your face and your genitalia <laughs> simultaneously. And you could sort of fill in the blanks. I'm sorry. That suggest- sounds like it would just kill you. It's not, is, it a, is it a second your own dick machine? Is well, it- uh, <laughs> yes, but it was sort of called the suctomometer. Suctomometer. Yes. Gotcha. Well, I was curious if it was sucking your face and your genitals, like, uh, or, or was it the, the suction power was from your face to your genitals? Well, that was version one. Version two, there was an old gasoline engine that was attached mm-hmm. and uh, you with a ripcord. And I was laying in bed and in my cha- and when I'd fill up my chamber pot, then I'd say, well, it's time for the suctomometer. <laughs> Everybody get in here. And I'd get my, my family kind of gather around and I'd rip that cord and it'd be like, oh boy, it was grand. That sounds like a wonderful mention. I can also imagine like why your family wouldn't want no, uh, they to really that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. Um, so, Steve, we, we talked a little bit about how you died already. Uh, uh, you and the 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 report is that you were sort of like slowly approaching stingray, but you're saying that you actually got stung in the chest because you were wrestling it. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I was wrestling the little fucker. <laughs> okay. Just and for fun, for kicks. So I was you, like, let's go, let's go big, and go home. And, gotcha. Yeah. That so fortunate, you know what really pisses me off is that, that little fucker Bill Maher Ugh. went as me with a stingray in my heart for Halloween right after I died. Did he do that? I didn't he know did that. that. Yeah, what he's a, a real jerk. piece of shit. He's a real piece of shit. Now I wish we could get more. We aren't run out of time, unfortunately. But we could really talk for like another hour on what a uh, piece of shit Bill Maher is. Oh, but yeah. unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. 
Uh, we learned a lot. I'd like to thank my guests, Steve Irwin and Ian Whitney, for joining me in the studio today. Pleasure. Uh, one you. final question. Do either of you have any like comedy shows or uh, comedy projects that you're like, a really big fan of that you want to tell people about? Um, uh, Eli Whitney, anything you want to tell people about? Yes. Well, there's a live show uh, called Dark of the Night that's uh, on, at the Pit Underground on Saturdays once a month. And then there's a YouTube channel called Yarwad, Y-A-R-W-A-D, with all my virtual reality content on it. Mm, sounds fun. And uh, Steve Irwin, anything you want to tell people about? Oh, well, I've got a couple of things. Uh, Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. It's Thursday night out at the Magnet Theatre. A couple of great groups, Junior Varsity and the music industry about to improv comedy. And it's hilarious. Great I night. go and I laugh my fucking tits off. Great night of comedy. And then uh, Saturday, and then we've got uh, on August 2nd, a band called the Great American Country Drifters are playing a show at the Pine Box Rock Shop in Brooklyn. And then I'd also just keep an eye out for Slavery Schmavery. <laughs> That's right. Doom synth band. I'm thinking we'll probably book a show at like uh, Largo or uh, uh, well, I'm thinking somewhere, somewhere in New York, somewhere in New York, maybe. Yeah, uh, somewhere we can just busk. Maybe Union Hall or something. Union Hall would okay. be perfect fit for us. <laughs> perfect. Union Pool, maybe. Get out. Check it out. Slave, slavery Schmavery. Check out. Look out for that website. I'm of course your host, Jared Berenstein. Check out my website, JaredBerenstein.com. Buy my book, The Killian Conway Technique. It is out now. Rate and review the podcast. Tell your friends. If you have any questions, please feel free to hit us up at famousdeadpeople at radiofreebrooklyn.org. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Uh, yes. We also got Eli Whitney. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, the cotton gin, it was, it was sort of created a really cool dynamic in the United States, <laughs> I feel like. And uh, let me get a little bit of uh, Steve Irwin. The sign can be said of the stingray. <laughs> <laughs> the stingray created a cool dynamic in Australia by killing me. <laughs> <laughs>